to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. It is an absolute joy to welcome our guest on this episode, Amy Purdy. 19 years ago, when Amy was just 19, she contracted a form of meningitis, which led to septic shock and the loss of both of her legs, her kidneys, and her spleen. Amy promised herself that if she survived, she would live the best life possible. She wouldn't limit herself, and she would somehow help others as a result of her journey. Amy has done all of that and much, much more. Among other things, she's a three-time Paralympic medalist in snowboarding, a runner-up on Dancing with the Stars, and the author of the best-selling autobiography, On My Own Two Feet, From Losing My Legs to Learning the Dance of Life. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. What was your life like before your life-changing battle with meningitis? Well, let's see. I grew up in Las Vegas, and I was not athletic at all. I did not grow up playing sports. My family didn't play sports. It just wasn't really a part of what we did. Um, I was actually an artist. I loved to paint, and I loved photography, and um, I ended up actually snowboarding at the age of 15 with a group of friends that I met in an art class and absolutely fell in love with it. And I have to say that before that, I didn't really know kind of where I fit in. My sister was a cheerleader and she was like head of the cheer squad. And she also was student body president and homecoming queen. And, um, you know, when I first got into high school, I kind of, I wasn't Amy Purdy. I was Crystal Purdy's little sister. And I wasn't (laughs) sure um, where I fit. And so I tried to get a path that she went and I tried out for cheerleading and it didn't work. And I was horrible, actually, and tried out for dance class and I was horrible and tried out for tennis. I was just trying to figure out where I fit. And it wasn't until I met this group of skateboarders and snowboarders in my art class that I really found kind of my group of friends. And um, as I started snowboarding, I absolutely fell in love with it and really found myself through it. And I knew that snowboarding would be a part of my life forever, one way or another. And so I set myself up um, so that I could hopefully travel the world and snowboard. That was my plan. I went to massage school, actually, the day after I graduated high school. I moved out to Salt Lake City with a friend, went to massage school. My whole plan was I could take this job with me. I could actually make money, live in different ski resorts across the world, kind of while I was trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. And um, then my life took a detour. And tell us about that, how you got meningitis. Yeah, so we, you know, we don't know exactly how I got it. Uh, They say one in four people are carriers of this particular bacteria. So that's 25% of the population. It's actually a fairly common bacteria that's not that common to get sick from. Uh, But if it finds its way into your bloodstream, which they say it's spread like the flu or the cold on your nose or your mouth, um, if it finds its way into the bloodstream, then that's when it's deadly. And they say it, you know, multiplies like doubles every 20 minutes, something like that. So you don't even realize that you have this until it's too late. And that's why the fatality rate is so high with it as well. And many times people go to the doctors and, you know, or to the hospital and even the doctors think they just have the flu. And that was how it was with my case um, where I, I thought I just had the flu. I actually went to work one day and I was working in Las Vegas. That's where I was born and raised. I got an amazing massage job there at this world-class spa 
I loved my job and I was making great money and I felt on top of the world and nothing could stop me. And all of a sudden, one day, I, I, I remember doing a couple massages and just feeling drained. I was exhausted. And so I took a break. And then over my break, I started to feel like my back was a little bit achy. My neck was a little bit achy. So thinking I had the flu, I went home from work early. That night, I had a temperature of 101. That's typical flu-like symptoms, so nothing too bad. The next morning, my temperature actually broke, and my family went out of town. And I just told them I probably have a 24-hour flu or something and not to worry about me. I'd meet up with them later. But instead of feeling better that afternoon, I started to feel worse. And uh, at one point, I actually closed my eyes and fell asleep. And I had a strong urge to wake up, but I couldn't. I couldn't open my eyes. And over and over, I'd force myself awake. I was so tired. I just I couldn't pull myself out of it. And when I woke up and I went to sit up, I realized that something was really wrong. My heart was beating out of my chest. I was so weak. It probably took a a good two to five minutes to get into a seated position. And then I put my feet on the floor and I stood up and I realized that I couldn't feel my feet. And when I glanced at the floor, I saw that my feet were purple. When I glanced at my hands, I saw that my hands were purple. And when I looked at my reflection in the mirror, I saw that my nose, my chin, and my cheeks were purple as well. And in that moment, I was dying and I knew it. Um, luckily, my cousin walked in right then. My mom had called her to come check on me because we thought I just had a 24-hour flu. And so my cousin walked in right then and she said, oh my God, Amy, it looks like you're dead. And I said, I'm dying. I'm dying. I know I am. And so she rushed me to the hospital and I was immediately put on life support. They had no idea what I had. I was going into cardiac arrest. Um, my lungs were collapsing. My veins were collapsing. All they knew is that something, my white blood count was through the roof, um, something like over 200,000. And they knew that something was taking over my body, but they just didn't know what it was. And so that was the beginning of a very life-changing journey. So, Amy, I have a few questions for you. How long did it take to diagnose you with meningitis? How long were you in the hospital? And how did you find out that you needed to lose your legs? So it takes about five days to diagnose because it actually takes that long to I guess, kind of process the bacteria and the, you know, the Petri dish or whatever they do. So they don't know for a couple of days if, if that's what you have or not. So for me, they just treated me for whatever it could be, everything under the sun. They gave me the four strongest antibiotics in the world. They had no idea what I had. And um, I was in a coma. So I was, I was immediately put on life support. I was put into an induced coma. I fought for my life. Um, for quite a few weeks, my lungs collapsed, my veins collapsed, um, my spleen burst, my kidneys failed completely. Actually, when I entered the hospital, I was in full kidney failure, and the doctor had told my mom that he had never seen anybody pull out of kidney failure like that before. Um, so they didn't think I was going to make it at that time. And um, so my entire body was shutting down, and I when I went into this induced coma, which was about the day, I guess the day after I entered the hospital, I was aware that that's what was going to happen, that they were putting me into this coma because I couldn't breathe. I was gasping for air and my feet were purple and they were achy and they hurt so bad. And I remember asking my dad to show me my feet because they were covered with the blanket. And he said, your feet are the last thing 
we're worried about here. You know, we just want to keep you alive here. But I begged him to see my feet because they hurt so bad. And he pulled the sheet up and my feet were completely purple. And that's the last memory I have before going into this induced coma. And that next week, I really thought for my life, there's moments where I flatlined and um, I was on 24-hour dialysis. They had no idea if I was going to survive. And I went into something called DIC as well, which I, don't, I the word that it stands for is very long, so I don't remember it. But it basically, some of the nurses say it stands for death is coming, which basically means you're, it's like your your blood cells are hemorrhaging. And so your blood gets very thin. And so just needle poke and, you know, the sheets would be, would be red. Meanwhile, I had something like 14 to 17 IVs in at a time. So it was just a very critical situation. And I, um, I, when I woke up from this coma that I was in, I, I knew that my feet were in trouble. We did everything we could to save them and uh, physical therapy. And I, I was actually pretty lucky, to be honest, that we had that time. Some people go in with a bacteria or something, septic shock, which is what I was in. Some people go in with that and they've got hours before they have to do amputations. I actually had quite a few weeks and I had time to a degree to wrap my head around it a little bit, um, the best I could. But uh, we did everything we could to save my legs below the knees. And ultimately, the doctors had to amputate them. Um, but I will I will say I, I also was forced with um, or facing, I was facing losing my hands as well because my hands were just as bad as my feet. So all of a sudden it turned around and my hands were better and my feet were the ones that were worse off. And it puts everything into perspective because um, honestly, I thought, oh my gosh, thank God I only lost my feet. Like how lucky am, am I to pull out of this only losing my feet? Wow. So, yeah, it's all about perspective. And I know you've said that when you lost your legs at the age of 19, you thought your life was over. So tell us more about what you felt and how you overcame that, because yours is such an amazing story. Yeah, I, I mean, nothing can prepare you for that moment. If somebody had told me when I was younger that at the age of 19 that I was going to lose my legs and lose my kidneys, uh, lose the life that I knew, lose my health, I would have said there's no way that I could handle it. You know, just like anybody else would say, anyone else who's 19 years old would say, there's no way that I could handle that. And then it happens. And then all of a sudden I have to just pull strength from somewhere, strength that I didn't even know that I had. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what exactly I went through at that time. I just, I, I made some choices that I think really shaped my life. I, as I was being wheeled into the operating room where they were going to amputate my legs, I made three, three goals as I was being wheeled in and I recited those goals myself. And the first goal that I, was, that I wasn't going to feel sorry for myself. Everybody else was feeling sorry for me. My parents, everybody was so sad that I was losing my legs. So it was so tragic. And we didn't know my, what my life was going to be like. And so I didn't want to feel sorry for myself. And the second goal was that when I somehow figured all this out, I would try to help other people. 
And the third goal was that I was going to snowboard again that season because I had never missed a season of snowboarding before, and I wasn't about to. And so those three goals I hung on to when I went into the operating room. And when I came out of the operating room, I still had those three goals in my mind. And I think just having that, it pulled me, you know, to my, it pulled me to the future instead of looking at the past. It's something that could give me something to look forward to. Like I'm going to figure out how to snowboard again. I don't know how, but I am going to do it and I will find a way. And it got me excited to try to figure it out. And I knew I felt it inside that I'm going to figure this out. And when I do, I'm going to help other people. And I know that that sounds really strong in a very um, vulnerable and heartbreaking situation. I definitely, I mean, I had my down moments, absolutely. Um, But I really tried to pull myself out of those moments by hanging on to these three goals. Talk to us a little bit about that nonprofit that you started, Adaptive Action Sports, and your passion for helping people with disabilities get into action sports. So I went on a mission to try to snowboard again, and about seven months after I lost my legs, I was back up on a snowboard again. It didn't go very well. My my knees went to bend, my ankles went to bend, um, the mechanics in my legs really didn't work the way that I needed them to. But what it did is it sparked this creativity inside of me, and I, I decided, well, I'm going to find a way to make this happen. And if I if I don't find a pair of legs that work, then I'll make a pair of legs, and that's exactly what I had to do. I actually went to my prosthetic shop, and we ended up piecing together this pair of legs that would move in the way that I needed them to, and that allowed me to get back up on my snowboard again, allow for my body to move the way that it needed to, And at that time, I really just wanted to snowboard for fun. It wasn't for competition at all. And uh, but kind of through my process, I started to realize, well, this is possible. So why are more people not doing it? In fact, I went to a I remember going to Breckenridge, Colorado and going to this ski spectacular event for people with disabilities. And there are hundreds of people there skiing. And I was the only snowboarder. And I thought, why am I the only snowboarder? It's obviously possible. And so I wanted to be able to help other people, this sport as an option as well. And when I met my now husband, Daniel, um, in 2002, we decided to start this organization, Adaptive Action Sports, to give resources for other people with disabilities who wanted to get involved in action sports. So snowboarding, skateboarding, wakeboarding, mountain biking, all the sports that I was passionate about, we wanted to be able to help other people get involved in those sports. And one of our goals was to get snowboarding into the Paralympic Games. Snowboarding was in the Olympic Games, but it wasn't yet in the Paralympic Games. And so we worked for many years uh, very hard to finally get snowboarding into the 2014 Paralympic Games. And um, and then I came back with a bronze medal, which was amazing. But really, the I think the most fulfilling part of all of it is just setting this pathway for anybody who has a disability, whether there's a little kid out there, or a wounded veteran, or somebody who's in their 20s or who's 15, somebody who has a disability who, who wants to snowboard and wants to compete and wants to live a full life and wants to be a professional athlete. 
we've been able to team up with amazing companies like Toyota and run our organization and help make dreams come true. How difficult was it to learn to walk again using prosthetic legs, let alone snowboard? Very hard. So walking, um, I mean, yeah, especially at first because I was so used to my normal legs and what things were supposed to feel like. And now I'm walking in carbon fiber that's so confining. I mean, it's kind of barbaric if you think about it because you've got bones and soft tissue and all of a sudden it's encased in carbon fiber that doesn't move and doesn't breathe. And I lived in Vegas and it was 115 degrees and it was hot. And uh, also your feet aren't touching the ground. So, you know, the average or the normal human foot has 150 bones and muscles for balancing and for jumping. And my foot has one piece of carbon fiber. So, just walking alone was very daunting and very challenging. But I had this this kind of breakthrough moment where I had just started walking in my legs. And let me back up real quick. I actually walked in my sister's wedding about a week and a half after I got my prosthetics. Wow. Um, that was another goal that I set for myself was just I didn't want to be in a wheelchair. I didn't want people feeling sorry for me. And I was going to walk in her wedding. I didn't want the attention, which I ended up getting the attention because everybody was crying. Nobody expected me to be walking in her wedding. But um, that was a goal that I set myself. Uh, And so I I got these legs. They were so uncomfortable, so confining. And then ended up just, you know, very cautiously kind of walking around the house and was able to walk in her wedding, which luckily it was actually at my parents' house. And uh, But that was kind of one of the first breakthroughs I had where I thought, okay, it's possible. Just two weeks ago, I wouldn't have thought this was possible, and now I'm walking in her wedding. So if I can do this, maybe I can keep going. Maybe I can work out again. Maybe I can do the things I love again. And another breakthrough I had was I had a little puppy dog. I'm so happy I got her when I got out of the hospital. She was a little beagle. Her name's Roxy, and she was only three months old. And I I got her, brought her home one day with my sister. I was still in a wheelchair at that point, but had my legs. And um, my parents said, well, you're, you're going out to take care of her. <laughs> and so I remember I was sitting outside with her and a coyote came through our yard and then bolted out of the yard and she went right after him. And she, I mean, they went a fourth a mile down the road, just chasing each other. And then the coyote turned on her and attacked her. And, but the minute she jumped out of my arms and went running down the street, I jumped up in my two prosthetic legs and ran. I mean, I ran so fast. I had flip-flops on my feet that were actually Velcroed to my feet because I loved my flip-flops. So I was determined to wear them. And (laughs) my (laughs) flip-flops flew off my feet. I went running across the street, jumping over cactuses. I'm telling you, I ran a half a mile in these legs before I barely even walked in them and was able to save her. She was a little beat up and had puncture wounds around her neck, but she was okay. And I ended up picking her up and walking her a half a mile back home. And my whole family was standing there in awe. Just here they had seen me walk so cautiously, 
so carefully around the house and these legs because they were so painful. And then all of a sudden, I'm just running full speed down the street. And and it just made me realize that it's about what we focus on. So, you know, if I was sitting there focusing on how uncomfortable my legs were, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did. But I wasn't. I was focused on something bigger than myself. And that is what maybe all of a sudden realized, oh, this is possible. If I can run in these, then I can walk in these. And if I can do that, then I can snowboard in these. And then who knows where I can go from there. You've been quoted as saying that even if you could change your situation, you wouldn't. How do you think you would have been different as a person had you not gone through this? I definitely wouldn't change my situation. It it, it has been very challenging uh, for a lot of different reasons. It, you know, people want to focus at times on, oh, that I've got prosthetic legs. But I also have a kidney transplant. And to be honest, the kidney transplant was more challenging for me than my prosthetics. My prosthetics are something that I'm always going to have to deal with. You know, it's I, I a lot of times people talk about overcoming obstacles. I don't really talk about overcoming obstacles. I talk about using them, about um, pushing off of them. And, and it's the obstacles that ultimately give us our opportunity if you, if you get creative and you can work through it. Because I have to deal with my obstacle every day. I mean, I put my legs on every single day. And so it's not something that suddenly you overcome and it goes away. But at the same time, I wouldn't be where I'm at today had I have not lost my legs. I have an amazing career as a motivational speaker. I speak to Fortune 500 companies around the world. I travel all over the world. I snowboard. I compete. I run an amazing nonprofit organization with my husband. And I've got a brand that I'm building. And I, I, I would not be the person I am today if I didn't go through the challenges that I've gone through. And those are just some of the challenges I've been through. Losing my legs was just one part of my life. You know, that happened when I was 19 years old. I'm now in my 30s. I've gone through plenty of other ups and downs and challenges. And um, I think they, they, they make you who you are. And there, there's no way to expedite the process. You can't have all the good stuff without having the bad stuff to build up your character and build up your confidence and build up your strength. You've said that you believe faith is the most powerful tool we have. Explain more about the role faith has played in this whole journey for you. So uh, when I talk about faith, I don't really talk about it in a religious way. I was not raised religious. Uh, I actually, I, I went to the Mormon church a little bit when I was younger. But outside of that, we didn't have a religion that my family was raised in. Um, but for me, just having the faith that that all of this is going to make sense at some point. You know, for me, I, I have the faith that in the end, all of this will make sense, whatever that means. And I, and that all the ups and all the downs, even if they don't make sense right now, even if we don't have clear answers right now of why something happened, I have it inside of me that all of this will make sense in the end. And that helps me on the journey when things get tough. And I'm not just talking about my legs, but I mean, I think we've all been through it when, you know, when it comes to business or it comes to a job or it comes to trying to figure out what your purpose is or all the different challenges that we all deal with. For me, I have this kind of bigger picture that I don't have the answers, but just to know that it will all make sense in the end, that for me gives me faith that 
there's a reason and everything's going to be okay. And I figured it out up till this point, going through the worst case scenario that I could ever imagine going through. And so I'm pretty sure I can handle the challenge that's in my hands right now. So that, that faith has really um, allowed me to just step back, get out of my mess, out of my bubble, and really focus on, on that, you know, it, it will all make sense at some point. And so just keep going. Amy, as you know, we have a mother-daughter show, and your mother played a big role in your recovery. Talk to us a little bit about what she did that helped you so much during the process and how you think your recovery would have been different if her attitude was different. So I have a very nurturing family. So although we weren't religious, we were very, I'd say, spiritual because there's just a lot of love in my family. And we have a lot of women in my family as well. And my mom, I mean, she quit her job the minute that I entered the hospital, sat by my side, along with my dad, my sister, my grandparents as well. I mean, they sat by my side, um, you know, throughout my entire hospital experience. I think my mom stepped away once and I was in the hospital for about two and a half months. But um, so she was by my side through all of that. And she really became my full time caretaker when I went home because I went home at 83 pounds. I uh, was in kidney failure, so I was on dialysis. I was in a wheelchair. I didn't have legs. And so my mom really needed to take care of me full time, and and she did that. And so she would drive me to my dialysis appointments a couple times a week. I had doctor's appointments all week. And really, that was kind of the next two years of my life between doctor's appointments and also um the prospect appointments, just getting my, my legs made. There was a lot going on and she was there the entire time. And we had some of our most kind of amazing moments and at that time as well, because, you know, you can, it's good when you can find humor in tragedy and we were somehow always making each other laugh, which was great. Like, you know, looking at like just what my life had suddenly become <laughs> with just sometimes that, would even make us laugh. We just couldn't believe how crazy life was. And so to have her by my side was really amazing. And when I was in the hospital, she was really, uh, she was really focused on the energy that people brought into the room. And she, even my grandmother showed up and this was one of the critical moments where they didn't know if I had, you know, another couple hours to live. Body was crashing. Like my, my blood pressure had crashed and my heart rate went through the roof and, uh, my grandma showed up right at that time and my grandma started crying and my mom told her to get out because basically it, she just, she, it, my mom felt that I was so on the edge of life and death that even a negative thought or energy could throw me over the edge. And so my mom just told everybody, you can't enter unless you have positive thoughts pretty much. And so everybody who was there was you know, thinking positive, and no matter what was happening in front of them, um, they all believed in our hearts that I would make through it, and and I did. Amy, what would you like to tell the rest of us about how we should react when we see a person who has prosthetic legs or arms or no legs or arms? What's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing? I mean, I would just say react to him as any other human because, you know, first of all, we all have disabilities. Everybody does. So 
whether you have prosthetics or, you know, we all have challenges that we're facing that sometimes stop us from things that we love to do. Or the problem is most people, their limitations are in their own minds. They think that they have reasons to not be able to do the things they want to do. People that I know uh, who have prosthetic legs, who are Paralympians, I mean, they're they're more able-bodied than what people who have all their limbs. I'd say what I thoroughly enjoy is when people come up to me, or even kids, I think it's amazing, when kids come up to me and say, oh my gosh, those are so cool. Like, I want a pair of legs like that. Like, that's pretty cool because they, in their minds, they're not thinking, oh, this is a disability or a handicap or any of these weird kind of labels that we put on things, they're thinking, oh my gosh, this person has robot legs. She can swim, she can run, she can snowboard, she can add different, um, you know, accessories. And that's pretty cool. And so when people come up to me with that kind of sense of curiosity and like, whoa, is that carbon fiber? That's amazing. That instantly opens the conversation and allows me to be able to share my organization and Um, what I've been able to kind of go on and do in the world and some of these other people I know who are doing incredible things. It's our community that we're a part of is just, it's so innovative. I mean, it's really, really forward thinking and cool because we are trying to figure out a way to do everything that we want to do. And if you have to go to the garage and build a pair of legs yourself, you do. And I think that's, I think that's pretty amazing. I'm curious to know, you've done all of these interviews and been very generous with your time for people who want to learn more about your story and about your organization. And I'm wondering what is one question that you've never been asked before that you wish you had been? Oh, gosh. Um, I, to be honest, I'm not sure because I, I, have, I have shared my story a lot. But to be honest, I really haven't shared it that much in the last couple of years because I've gone on to do much other things. You know, I went on and did Dancing with the Spurs and wrote a New York Times bestselling book and went back to the Paralympic Games and won a silver medal and another bronze medal. And I have a brand and a business that I run. So I find that I actually get asked more about that stuff these days than I do the actual, uh, you know, how I lost my legs. Um, I will say, I mean, at this point, I've been asked so many different questions under the sun that I, I'm not actually sure how to answer that. You know, one question that we always ask our guests, because our show is called Nobody Told Me, we always ask, what's your nobody told me lesson? What is it that you have learned in this journey in life that nobody told you, nobody could have prepared you for, and maybe on some level you kind of wish somebody had? Gosh, I mean, I would think... <sighs> Well, I want to say nobody told me how challenging and hard it would be to run your own business and become successful. I mean, we do hear that all the time, but until you go through it yourself, you don't realize just how much perseverance and how much hard work goes into it. And for me, being a motivational speaker, so I I speak to Fortune 500 companies. I'm a keynote speaker for for some of the biggest corporations in the world, and it is hard work. And it's it, back in the day, people would say, "Just get up and share your story. That's it." Well, to a degree, that is it. But at the same time, the amount of kind of preparation 
that I put into my speaking career is the same amount of preparation preparation that I put into my competitive snowboard career. So when I was snowboarding competitively, um, the amount of training that I put in every single day and focus and dedication so that I could go out and perform my best, I try to use that in speaking as well because I have to prepare so that I'm ready when I go on stage and so that I'm in the moment and having a great time and can connect with the audience and perform at my best. And I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of hard work that goes into that. Um, You know, you think you can kind of just stand up and share your story and you get a standing ovation and that's good, but to actually have a career in it, to actually build a brand in it and, and to be able to, to speak to these corporations and, you have to work really hard. And so uh, I would say maybe I never knew the amount of hard work, but I'm very grateful for, for I guess, figuring it out along the way and then being able to help others do the same. And Amy, I have one final question for you. You have been so great at reinventing yourself and doing the unexpected. And I'm wondering what we can expect from the next few years. <laughs> Well, I so I'm in a bit of a transition, but in a really good way. The last couple of years, gosh, so much happened at once. So I, I went into the Paralympic Games to Sochi and won a bronze medal. It overlapped with Dancing with the Stars, and I came in second place. And then I wrote a New York Times bestselling book, and then I went on a speaking tour with Oprah. And then I started doing a ton of my own speaking, and then I went back to the Paralympic Games. So to be honest, the last five years has been kind of one thing after the next, and it's been incredible. But I'm in a spot right now where I'm kind of just redesigning my future because I'm sure if I'm going to compete in the next Paralympics, I'm one of the oldest competitors actually in our sport now, and um, and so. It's interesting. For a while there, it was just one thing after the next was coming my way. But now I'm in a spot where I get to create my future and what I want to do and what I see. And I, one thing I'm really loving is, is connecting with people, really connecting with my followers, whether it's on social media. I definitely have another book that I'm going to be writing that has nothing to do with my legs or challenges um, in that way, but really to help inspire people to live their best life. And yeah, I I see some kind of speaking tour ideas I've got um, that I'm working on. And right now I'm just kind of living an inspired life and, and trying to be my best self and kind of see how these these projects play out. There's, there is a, a, a movie um, that's somewhat in the works at the beginning stages on my life, which is amazing. And, and that's something that hopefully we'll see happening here pretty soon. But um, yeah, I kind of get to like redesign what the next five years looks like. And I'm really excited for that. And how can people connect with you via social media? So I am really big on Instagram as far as when I say I'm really big, I mean, that's where I put my energy is to Instagram. Uh, I am on Facebook as well, but both my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, 
My handle is at Amy Purdy Girl, and it's G-U-R-L. And I try to do a lot of live chats. I answer people's questions. I really try to um, share my experiences and my vulnerabilities and the challenges I've had to just help other people, you know, succeed in their lives as well. So um, it's it's a really great platform for me to be able to connect. And I would love it if, if you guys join me. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Our thanks to Amy Purdy, who has been our guest this last show. She's a three-time Paralympic medalist in snowboarding, the runner-up on Dancing with the Stars, and the author of the best-selling autobiography, On My Own Two Feet, From Losing My Legs to Learning the Dance of Life. You've been listening to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Thank you so much for joining us. 